two things I want to share before we go to our scripture. First is to pull out your hymnal because we're going to sing a part of the scripture. And you'll see it listed there, hymn number 99. And the second thing is um, a reminder of, of what's happening today and a trigger warning. We talk a lot about babies at this time of year. And I promise that Pastor Molly and I do the best we can to respect uh, the varied experiences of folks who come to the sanctuary. Um, but these stories can be triggering for some. We're talking about birth and pregnancy. Um, just a reminder to be compassionate to those around you. Uh, if you see somebody crying or someone needs to step out, we don't blame them. We just ask if you want to talk about it, share a hug, and share grace as much as possible. So we think of so many this day and the wide variety of experiences that is this life. And remember this ancient story as well, where babies are brought into this tension of what's happening. In the beginning of this chapter of Luke, we have Zechariah and his silence and learning about this child, that him and Elizabeth are going to have at a very old age. And then Gabriel comes to Mary and tells him, and tells her about who she is to bear to the world. And then he says, well, if you don't believe me, you, you can run off to Elizabeth. She's pregnant too, because nothing is impossible with God. And she goes 80 miles, four days journey, perhaps a woman by herself traveling across the desert to confirm this news with Elizabeth. The scripture says, and Mary got up and hurried to a city in the Judean highlands. She entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. With a loud voice, she blurted out, God has blessed you above all women, and God has blessed the child you carry. Why do I have this honor that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Happy is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill the promises he made to her grabbing our hymnal, we hear that Mary said in response, done great things. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy God, you are our life, our love, and our song. Fill us with your spirit this day as we approach the Christ child. Amen. What song would you sing if you believed that you were bearing God? Perhaps a happy one. And you'd be right to be happy, perhaps. Music can make us happy. Recently, researchers were seeking to understand runner's high, the feeling that runners get whenever they run that satisfies cravings and lowers their anxiety. And they found a chemical in the body called endocannabinoids. You might have heard in there the word cannabis because these natural chemicals make us feel similar in a much more organic and obviously healthier way. Now, the folks at BBC Two's segment called Trust Me, I'm a Doctor, they worked out a little experiment to figure out whether there were other activities that induced these endocannabinoids, preferably without making you have to run for miles at a time in order to feel good. Thanks be to God. So they took some blood levels from these participants and some surveys, and they found out that after a few different activities, things happened to their bodies. So after cycling, after sitting on an exercise bicycle, this increased their endocannabinoids by 19% but didn't really improve the moods of the participants. Dancing increased their levels by 21%, which is better, and more importantly, it did improve their moods. But, best of all, singing. Singing increased their endocannabinoid levels by 42%. Tw yes. <laughs> the choir cheers for thanks for God. Because, just as these participants had, they had an average improvement in mood, which is a wonderful thing. Now, this isn't released in a peer-reviewed journal. It was haphazardly made for the BBC, but you get to give as much credibility as you normally give to the BBC. It was a well-done piece. Now, if all this is true, and it comes to be found later through more uh, credible research, then it would seem that Duke Orsino's words and the opening of Twelfth Night should ring true. If music be the food of love, play on and give me excess of it. But for the real Shakespeare nerds out there, you realize that these words have a double meaning. It's at once a declaration of music's power to complement true feelings that we already have, but also as the rest of the soliloquy suggests as we discover about Duke Orsino's unrequited love, music can also be used to deafen the madness of reality and the hard parts of that reality. And resting somewhere between those two places is the, the Song of Mary, the Magnificat. Months before Christmas, Mary is told by Gabriel about this child developing inside of her, and she rushes, rushes to confirm this angel message with Elizabeth. Elizabeth is also bearing a servant of God, and they meet up, and there's babies leaping in the womb, and this confirmation sends Mary into a song of praise. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. But carrying baby Jesus isn't total 
euphoria. There is joy, to be certain. I think she's got the endocannabinoid levels that she needs. But if you've ever read this text before, as we sang it just now, Mary's song is just so much more than just praise. There's, it's, it's fraught with emotion, not the least of which is this percolating lament and anger. Let's read the verse here that seems so revolutionary. Mary says, God has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. God has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. God has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, just as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. In Thursday's Washington Post, the Act of Faith section, D.L. Mayfield suggests that many parts of American Christianity, evangelicals and others, often don't hear this part. That there are preachers that literally stop in this text before the revolution begins. Not to make you think this is only one section of Christianity. I grew up in a slightly purple Presbyterian church in the southwest suburbs of Chicago, and I never, ever remember my pastor emphasizing these pieces about the hungry getting their fill and the rich walking away empty. What does that do for your stewardship campaign? Anywhere in Christianity's past where these words could be perceived as a threat to power, or in the case of the church, money, they're conveniently overlooked. Now, rewriting the challenging parts of songs we don't like, it's an old trick. Mayfield points to India, where the song was banned by the occupying British. He points to Guatemala, where the government outlawed these words that were giving hope to an oppressed people. She points to Argentina, where at one point the military junta banned their publication in public because the mothers of slaughtered children kept posting Mary's songs on posters. Now, while us American Christians have largely forgotten or not internalized the more chromatic parts of Mary's song, the powerful have never forgotten. Sitting right now a few miles south of us in the Museum of the Bible is a text some refer to as the Slave Bible. Now, the British missionaries in the new West Indies needed to convert the slaves. But the slave owners weren't so comfortable with certain parts of the Bible. So, they were cut. To make the slave owners happy, according to one of the associate curators, Anthony Schmidt, quote, about 90% of the Old Testament is missing. And 50% of the New Testament is missing. Put another way, Schmidt continues, there are 1,189 chapters in a standard Protestant Bible. This Bible contains only 232. Anything that alluded to freedom or the equivalency of slave and free and all being one in Christ, that's slashed while passages on submission and obedience remain intact. And like most of 
our hip-hop music today, the music of reality and aggression is labeled immoral and unright so that the powered and the privileged can make sure it doesn't hit the ears of their innocent children. So why would Mary sing this tune? A meta-analysis of research on what music does to the human body suggests there are three reasons why we sing. One is to regulate our mood and emotion. Anyone who has felt bad but then sang a good song knows what that's about. The second reason could be to achieve self-awareness, to further claim a sense of identity and who you are in the world. And the third reason is an expression of social relatedness. We understand how Mary can manage the shock and awe of all the things that have been going on in the first chapter of Luke, through this great range of emotion through singing her song. We can understand how she was seeking self-awareness, defining her role, claiming as she does in the song that she is a handmaiden, a, a doulos, a slave of God. But to me, the most interesting piece of this is the social relatedness cause of singing. Many of you know about the occupation of the Roman Empire occurring in the ancient Near East at that time. And it certainly lived large in the mind of anyone who lived in that area. But there was another physical edifice that stood even more starkly in opposition to this gestating king of the Jews. Next to tiny Bethlehem, maybe population 300, stood the partially man-made palatial palace of King Herod on a hill 2,500 feet high, three miles southeast of Bethlehem. Herodium was the largest palace complex in the Roman Empire. You couldn't look anywhere without seeing this thing hanging over this tiny little town. And Herod was hated. They hated him even more than the Romans because he claimed to be Jewish. He was King Herod after all, but he certainly excelled as a proxy king, as a puppet for the powerful people who put them in place. And down in the valley, just three miles away, was born Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, the one who saves. So if you are Mary and you're giving birth to the Christ child in a place seemingly like Mordor in the face of your Tolkien-esque Mount Doom, it is a wildly courageous act of resistance to sing at the top of your lungs that God has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly, perhaps about 2,500 feet or so. But before this song feels like all whole notes and long swells of joy, let's remember how Mary had to improvise. The actions here happen so quickly in our Bible. Two chapters resolve into two babies. By Luke chapter 3, John and Jesus are men baptizing and doing ministry farther north in Israel. But in these two chapters are months and years of tension, 
emotion fraught with anticipation, hope suppressed by this perched reminder of a nearby fortress, and babies. This baby named He Who Saves is crying near the steps of the palace. And in Matthew's account, the threat to Herod's power provokes him to kill all the infants of Bethlehem as the Holy Family flees as refugees to Egypt. But this is ancient writing, and ancient writing rarely gives women words to speak at all. Certainly not as many as Shakespeare gave Orsino to submit the cause of his consternation, but we receive in this passage, in the Magnificat, decades of oral history, written down and then carried to us through 2,000 years of tradition, all of which give Mary this one song to bear her soul as she bears the Savior of the nations. Man, what a song it is. If you like classical music, as a lot of people who come to this church often do, you've heard the Magnificat before. We just sang it through this song, this tune, Morning Song, bit of a minor key, but you could feel that clear affirmation of faith within the longing. Another popular tune is hymn number 100 in your purple hymnal. Don't worry, we're not going to sing it right now. It's called The Canticle of the Turning. It's based on an Irish tune, The Star of the County Down. They, based on a, the tune is based on a, a guy who can't quite get this beautiful star at the county down to, to feel the love for him. But this beautiful tune, you hear Mary's words by uh, Aaron Rooney. He says, my heart shall sing of the day you bring. Let the fires of your justice burn. Wipe away all tears, for the dawn draws near, and the world is about to turn. Mm, them's fighting words, Mary. And there's, of course, thousands of medieval and classical and Baroque settings of the Magnificat and these rich polyphonic layers, just beckoning meditation that you too may ponder all these things in your heart. And we haven't even begun to touch the massive amount of world music that just oozes celebration and excitement for Bethlehem's child. All of this in response to the angel and the affirmation of Elizabeth, Mary, you are bearing God within you. Now every time we read the Bible, it's always interesting to ask, did the miracle happen? However, what really matters is does this miracle happen? I am grateful that Mary bore the Christ child and brought hope to the world. But now I wonder, is it true that we bear the Christ even now? Could it be true that sometimes in the chaos of Christmas, we forget to live it, to really sing what we believe about it. We have our carols, but I thoroughly believe that any carol worth singing should be meaningful beyond Christmas Day. Think about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, how that just rings true all year long. Yes, we remember all too well that, yes, Jesus is here with us now, and that brings us comfort and peace. But something, some piece of the kingdom is still coming. And so we mourn in lonely exile here. 
We think about, oh, come all ye faithful. And how that present text verbiage just draws you. Oh, come, let us adore him. And this present tense lyrical invitation to greet this happy morning, the newborn babe. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. This is our God with us then and now and forevermore. And we sing songs of lament and songs of joy and everything in between because we believe that Mary is bearing the birth of Christ in the world in this moment with each breath of the Spirit of God. And in every reminder of that holy, true, united reality that is God that we get a glimpse of in the world, we remember that we are bearing God too. We are bearing God too. And that is the mystery of Christmas. How do we sing that song? Elizabeth said, happy is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill the promises made to her. So, what song would you sing if you believed that you were bearing God? What will it take for you to believe that you are bearing God in the world right now? My friends, God moved into the neighborhood took on flesh, and dwelled among us. Find your tune. Practice in your showers. And sing the songs of hope and lament and pain and exuberance. For our God is with us. Thanks be to God. And amen.